See, I can't operate. I won't operate till he operates in me. Then he operates through me. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in us beyond measure, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As I paraphrase the pages of the epistles of Paul, I'm boasting in the Lord through it all. I'm telling y'all, when I'm up here, there's no praising me because God's the only reason I'm at this stage of mercy. Ooh, right, right. You see, to me, it's really, really simple. Becky said it best, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. So I'm something like a light, only reflecting him. And my light's a little dim because perfection's only him. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is in his word alone. How can I transform lies if I'm speaking on my own that's speaking wrong? We speaking long like the bakery. Anybody been to Long's Bakery before? <laughs> Romans 1.16 says salvation is in his word alone. How can I transform lies if I'm speaking on my own? I'm speaking wrong. We're speaking long like the bakery. Too many of us be giving that food, forgot who the baker be. So how can I give it if we never live it? So many will preach it, but they never reach it. Many will teach it. But let's slow that down. Let's slow that down. How can we give it if we never live it? So many preach it, but they never reach it. Many teach it but never attain it. I'm speaking this word and I cannot contain it. This calling is irrevocable. He told me in private what my vocals are for, so I'm spoken for. I give myself to you in the lost, knowing that compassion comes at a cost. Y'all ready? Let's go. Yo, give it up for the online family too. My bad online. I forgot y'all last service. That's on me, that's on me. My name is Rashad Cunningham. I'm one of the pastors here at the Carmel location. We're continuing our teaching series, The Cost, Josh started out in week one talking about the cost of Christ. He said it will, it will cost you making God first, others second, and yourself third. Last week, he talked about the community piece, and it's basically God first, others second, and yourself third. So what do you think we're going to do this week? God first, others second, you third, right? I do this thing everywhere. I go to make sure you're in the room because we're about to get into this word, right? So I say, hey, good morning. Mercy Road, and you say, good morning, Rashad, Rashad, okay? And, and it's just to make sure that you're in the room. Let's try it out. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Rashad. Yeah, but see, first service was louder than that, and there was half the people here. Uh-oh, we got a problem. I know it's raining, but I need y'all to wake up, not for me, but for the Word of God. Good morning, Mercy Road. Good morning, Let's get into it. So here we go. We are talking about the word compassion and the cost of it. Here's the thing. Meanings have words more than words have meanings. You see, something happens and then humans say, we got to put a word on that. So when we do a word study, I got to give you the full context of what the word meant. So because you have an idea of what compassion means, you have an idea of what compassion means, I have an idea of what compassion means, and then the Bible says this is what it is, right? So we got to jump back to the Old Testament before we get into our text. In Exodus 34, 6, when God describes himself, he literally says that he is compassionate. Exodus 34, 6, it says, when he's describing himself to Moses, he says, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate. That's the first way to describe himself. Now, in the Hebrew language, they like to use language in a way to describe an experience. And think about God. God is outside of any human finiteness, so it's hard for him to tell you who he is without giving you something that you could experience. So this word, compassion, comes from the root word, womb. 
womb, right? Think about this, because when you think of a womb, you think of a mother, you think of a mother, you think of a child in the womb, and this is how God describes himself. So in Isaiah 49, 15, he uses the same word like this. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even if these forget, I will never forget you. Look how he does it. He says, can a mother, a mother forget her son? Her, 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 like not have compassion on a child that was formed in the womb. Something about this word is about the womb as well. But when you're talking about God, he's perfect in this and human beings aren't. So yes, a mother can forget her child. We've seen it. And so he gives this example so that you have an experience to kind of understand what it is. But then he says, but I know moms do forget and that doesn't describe me. I never forget. So he's, he's literally telling you there's nothing to describe what I have for you. Nothing to describe this word. The last thing in the Old Testament that describes this is, is there's this story. There's these two women. They were prostitutes, and they had babies about three days apart from each other, right? And one of them rode over on her child and killed her child in the sleep. When she woke up and realized her child was dead, she picked up her child. She went over to the other prostitute's bed, put the dead child in there, took, took the other prostitute's child and went over here, went back to sleep. When they woke up, she tried to say that this one was her child. But the mother over here looked at the child and was like, this isn't my child. So they went to King Solomon, both saying that the child was theirs. It's my child, my child. King Solomon said, you know what? I got a solution. Cut the child in half. We'll give both of you half the child. What? Right? And, and it says this word, this word that God uses to describe himself is what moved in the mother of the child for her to say, King, never mind. Never mind. She can have the child because I'm so moved by this word that I would rather her have the child then my child die. Do you see that? I think about my wife when, when we were pregnant with our son, Exodus. Uh, she, the amniotic fluid started leaking a little early, so she had to go to bed, rest at the hospital. She had to leave her daughter, leave her husband, go to the hospital and stay there because she was moved by what it would take to bring this child into the world, right? And so the compassion it was led is what led her to be on bed rest as she thought about the helplessness of this child and her having to do something to take care of the child. So in the Hebrew, they think about the womb when they think about compassion. And you, ladies who've had a child, you know you change the way you eat, change the way you change what you put in your body, all because of what you're thinking of for the child. Amen? Amen. Okay, now let's jump over to the New Testament. So that's the, that's the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit, right? But over here in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. So they got some words that mean compassion as well. Now, here's the thing. They got this thing called the Septuagint. Everybody say Septuagint. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that one. It's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is when Greek scholars took the Old Testament written in Hebrew and wrote it in Greek so there was one Greek Bible, right? Kind of like we have an English Bible where English scholars have translated the original, original language. So when you're doing these meaning studies or these word studies, you'll take a word that was used here in the Greek and you'll go over here to the Old Testament and say, well, what did they use here for compassion that's from over there so I can know what the Bible says about the word? And you'll find this word, uh, oikthermos and eleos, and it's used all for like the times that it's used over here in the Hebrew. And that's great, and you kind of know what the word is. But then we come to our, pas our passage. Look at this. In, in Matthew 9, look at this, y'all. Look at this. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities, this is verse 35, in all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every sickness, seeing the people he felt compassion. So I was like, oh, surely that's going to be oikthermos or eleos, the same words I've seen all throughout the New Testament. And when I look at the Septuagint, it's over here in the Old Testament. Surely it's going to be one of those two words. And it's neither. 
Because when God tried to describe himself over here, he had to give examples that don't follow through because a woman will forget her child, right? And so when God in the form of Jesus comes down and displays this word, humans don't have a word for it, so they had to make up a word. This word is only used in the Gospels, only used in reference to Jesus, whether it's talking about something Jesus did or something Jesus is talking about or somebody asking Jesus for it. It's only used in the Gospels in the New Testament. This word is different than any other word in the Bible, and it means bowel movement. Yeah, what? Yeah. And let me tell you why. Because you, you, you think of compassion, and you're like, man, I just had this gut feeling. This gut feeling, gut feeling, gut feeling, gut feeling. But you know what? People don't do nothing about their gut feelings. That's why you with the knucklehead you with now. You ignored your gut feeling. He's like, I knew something was wrong. Uh-huh. That's why you bought that house you shouldn't have bought. That's why you bought that car you shouldn't have bought, because you had a gut feeling. But you don't have to do nothing about a gut feeling. You got to do something about a bowel movement, don't you? Now, y'all think I'm playing around, but when you see what happens in this passage, you'll see I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just giving you the word of God the best I can. So the question isn't how do we, what's the cost of compassion? The question is what's the cost of the compassion of Jesus? What's the cost of the compassion of Jesus? Because it's different than anything man could produce on his own. And so if it's costing something, that means we're going to lose something. So we're going to talk about this. And what will we lose to be compassionate like Jesus? Well, first and foremost, we are going to lose the comfort of sitting together. I took the word cost to make an acronym because I have some extra time on my hands. (laughs) So we will lose the comfort of sitting together. The Bible says Jesus, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus was what? Going, not sitting. You see, we in this culture, in this context, we get so consumed in sitting in this building on a Sunday morning. This to us is ministry. This is church. This is the kingdom. Mercy Road's kingdom right here. But this isn't what shows compassion. Compassion is getting out of these walls and into the communities that that are around you. Jesus was going, not sitting. He was going. Now, y'all can go together, but y'all can't sit together. So you can come in here like a gas station and get filled up so that you can go. But you don't go to a gas station, fill up your car and sit at the gas station, do you? So why you do it here? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I ain't getting invited. Nobody's Thanksgiving, am I? That's all right. That's all right. I got Jesus. Anyway. Anyway, check it out. So it says he was going. Where did he go? Everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. Everywhere. He went everywhere. That means all the villages, all the towns, all the cities. There was no, it wasn't just Hamilton County. It wasn't just Carmel. It wasn't just my comfort zone. He went out. And what did he do? He didn't go out and just go out. He taught. He preached. And he healed. He did what was necessary in the moment. Compassion is not just doing something. It's doing the right thing to heal the need. A lot of us spiritually be throwing out ibuprofen to, to fix something temporarily. Instead of going in and finding out what the sickness is, which is always lack of Jesus, and giving them Jesus, not just in the spiritual realm, right, but in the emotional realm, in the physical realm, and in the mental realm. It's meeting the wholeness. It's bringing them back to shalom. You cannot sit and be compassionate. You got to go. 
And when Jesus uses this word himself to describe something else in the story of the prodigal son, y'all know the prodigal son? The one who looked at his father and said, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance so I can go out there and do what I want to do with the money. He goes out there to the like the, the Vegas of their day. He blows all his money on drugs. Well, they probably had drugs. Whatever he blew his money on, he just blew his money. And he's with these uh, pigs in the pigsty, and he comes to the conclusion, and he's like, man, it'd be better to be a servant of my father than to be where I am now. Let me get up and take myself home, right? So he goes home, and then Jesus is telling his story, right? Jesus is telling his story. He's like, the father looks, and he looks. Let me look for somebody here. Let me look for somebody. Ah, Aaron, there you are. And and he looks as if Aaron was my son, because Aaron's really short, right? And so if Aaron was my son, he looks and sees him far off. Now remember, his son said, you're dead to me. His son took an inheritance and blew it. His son owes him a whole bunch of apologies. Some, ah, you were right. He's betrayed him. He's disappointed him. He's frustrated him. But the Bible says because of this word moving in that man, the father went out to the son before the son had apologized for anything. Some of y'all ain't inviting some people to your Thanksgiving because you're still waiting on an apology. Some of you ain't called some people because you're still waiting on them to apologize for how they betrayed you. And so you won't show compassion to this person, this family member or this community person or that person at work because they stepped on your toes and hurt your feelings. The Bible says this word overrides betrayal. It overrides hurt feelings and it looks and says, I don't care if he's back to take more money from me. I don't care if he's back to betray me more. Because of this word moving in my bowels, I have to go out to him, embrace him, kiss him and hold him. I got the can't help it. Now, are there boundaries there? Yeah, but when the boundaries are there and those boundaries are from God, you won't feel it. You won't feel it. Well, he beat me. Well, then you're not going to feel it. But for some of it, it's he didn't vote like me, so I don't feel it. Wrong. Right? So you will lose the comfort of sitting together inside this building if we're going to be Christians who call ourselves compassionate like Jesus. You have to get up and do something. You have to get up, get out, and do something. That's a song, actually. I ain't going to think about that later. All right. So the next thing, verse 36, it says, seeing the people. So not only was he going, teaching, preaching, healing, he was seeing the people. Compassion. To be compassionate like Jesus, you will lose the convenience of seeing tribes. It's another C-O-S-T. Y'all see it? You will, lose, <laughs> y'all, you will lose the convenience of seeing tribes. Y'all not going to like me. That's okay, but I love you. See, it's real convenient to be living in this cancel culture. I mean, think about it. It's so easy to see a tribe. And because I see a tribe, I'm not compassionate because you're not a part of my tribe. See, Jesus didn't see tribes. He saw trouble and did something about it. Jesus saw people. I was the other day, I was going back to Brownsburg to get my hair cut, and there was an accident on 465, six something in the morning, right? So here I am trying to get on from, uh, from 31 onto 465. You know, like anywhere you're at, even if you're online, no matter where you're at, you've always tried to get on the on ramp, right? You take the on ramp to get on the highway, and I'm getting on, and you're supposed to do like the zipper thing, right? Like one go, next go, next go. There's this dude, and, and I know he can see me, but he's just like this. And I'm like, let me in as if this one car length is going to get you to work any faster. But he will not look at me. So he, he's so, I'm so inconvenient to let over that he won't look at me. Then I got in the middle lane and blew past him. Like, ha, 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 right? But that doesn't matter. What I'm saying is a lot of us don't see somebody because they're inconvenient. 
You call it toxic. You call it boundaries, but it's just inconvenient and a difference of opinion. We just had this Rittenhouse trial happen, right? Half of you are like, yes. And half of you are like, how could it go this way? And now you won't see each other, so you won't meet each other's needs because you disagree on the trial. People ain't invited to your Thanksgiving because they don't agree with vaccination or they do agree with vaccination. Uh-oh, you see how quiet it is? That's how you know it's real. <laughs> that thing you feeling right now? Compassion, don't ignore it. Your bowels is moving right now, right? This is what it is. You lose the convenience of saying black, white, Republican, Democrat, Black Lives Matter, cops matter. You lose all of that and you see people, you see souls. The Bible says he is a new creation who's in Christ and you no longer value people according to their tribe. You recognize the differences in the community? You recognize poverty and stuff that happens as a result of the, the, the culture that's created by men? But you override that by seeing them according to the kingdom. And it doesn't matter who they are. You no longer see tribes, you see people. And when you see people the way Jesus sees people, you are moved by something that you have to do something. It's not a gut feeling that you think about it and keep walking. That's what a lot of people, I bet you the Jew that walked past, the, the Jew that got robbed, and the other parable where, where Jesus used this, it's like a guy got robbed, beat up, and a Jew, his own tribe, walked past him, got a gut feeling, should do something, but I'm busy. Another, like a Pharisee walked past him, I'll pray for you, brother, but I'm busy. A Samaritan, opposite of a Jew, different tribe. It's like bloods and crips, right? He looked at him and was like, something's going on inside of me, I have to do something. And not just do something, not get with him and be like, hey man, I'm gonna help you out, but can we take this selfie first so I can post this on Facebook? Hashtag God plan, right? No, he, he did the right thing. The thing that cured the need all the way through, took him to the end, paid for the end, said if there's anything else he needs, I'll come back and settle that debt too. And this is somebody who's on the opposite tribe of him. This is the, this is the Trump voter and the Biden voter, right? Compassion does this, the compassion of Jesus. You will lose the convenience of seeing tribes. Think about who's not coming to Thanksgiving because they still owe you an apology from last year or they just don't fit your tribe anymore. Think about who's not being invited to church because they live in your neighborhood, but they have a different sexual preference than you agree with theologically, and because they're homosexual or transvestite, they're another tribe, and you won't go meet their needs, which is that regardless if they're homosexual or not, regardless if they think they're a boy, think they're a girl or whatever, they need Jesus. And so you won't talk to them? You won't talk to them? You put your ex up from them? You want to keep them away from you? When they ask, when you're there because they need you to introduce them to him? That's what Jesus teaches us? That's what we teach in the Mercy Road? No. No. The Bible says he saw the people. He was moved by this word. Because when he looked at them, they were harassed and helpless. They were beat down and destroyed and couldn't do nothing about it. He said it was like they had sheep. It was like they were sheep with no shepherds. Well, here's the most painful part about that passage. They had shepherds. They had them. They had spiritual leaders who knew the Bible, who gathered every, well, it would have been Saturday, but who gathered in the church buildings, in the temples, and knew the Bibles and were religious and did all the things and all the things. And yet when Jesus looked at their flock, he said, hmm, looks like they don't have any shepherds. 
You who are in here taking your notes, Mercy Road, Mercy Road, my church is an awesome church. Then you go in your community where there's sheep all around you and God has placed you there, not because of your education, not because of your finances and you came up in your job. No, he placed you there strategically because there's people broken there who need you. You're supposed to be their shepherds. And Jesus is looking over your shoulder saying, it's like sheep with no shepherds. But you stay away from them because they're toxic, cancel culture, and all these things that don't move you on the inside. Same thing that moved Jesus from heaven to earth to die for you when you was on the opposite tribe. Think about that. That's what this word is. That's what this word is. He goes on and he says this. Look at this, y'all. He says, then he said, verse 37, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The compassion of Jesus to have it, you will lose the control of sacred time. See, a lot of people don't serve on a Sunday. Why? Because this is your sacred time. I can't serve on Sunday. That's my Jesus time. Okay, can you do Monday? No, I got to go to work on Monday. Well, what about Monday after work? Netflix and chill. (laughs) Can Can I say that? Kelsey, can I say that up here? Maybe. Uh, we'll figure it out. Like, and then it's my, my child's practice and my distance. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but you have no margin in your life because everything is sacred. And you realize sacred means set apart, right? So if everything is sacred, then nothing is sacred. <laughs> I didn't say that last service. I just, that's Holy Spirit, right? Amen. <laughs> So think about this. You will lose control of sacred time. And let me be honest with you real quick. This is the, this right here, this point is the point that has me up here preaching to you right now. If it wasn't for this point, I wouldn't be up here preaching to you right now. Because you know, I just told you about how my, my wife was moved with compassion to go on bed rest for my son when the amniotic fluid was leaking. He, he's born on May 8th, right? No, excuse me, May 13th, 2008. He's born. And, and he breathes. And they're like, he's here, and he'll be okay. He's a little early, but he'll be okay. And he cries, and he whines, and I'm so excited. Got my little boy. They wake us up 2 o'clock in the morning. Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham, can you come hold your son? He's taking his last breaths. Right? So my son died 2 o'clock the next morning. A couple years later, we got a dog named Rico. Rico. Man, Rico's Rico. Like, if you've ever met Rico, Rico is, you probably never met because my wife won't let you over, but Rico's the man. <laughs> and so we move out here and new church, new community. My daughter goes to school, so that's a different change again. And then um, we missed our original vacation in June, so we went this past October on vacation. I couldn't wait. I was like, man, I need a break because I'm starting to, starting to drain after a while. And the first day of vacation, Rico dies in the arms of my wife the same way our son died in the arms of her. It's destroyed our family. And I won't lie to you. First thing I want to do is quit. <laughs> Ministry, pfft, whatever. Preaching, nah. I just want to be at home with my wife right now. Because, yeah, you can say it's just a dog, but it's so much more than a dog. And if you get deep into all the stuff about our family that I ain't got time to explain up here, it devastated us. And I'm still devastated in many ways, still grieving in many ways, and still wanting some sacred time in many ways. And then God gave me Mark 6, 33 and 34. Let me tell you what happens in Mark 6, 33 and 34. Jesus wants to get away. Why? Because his cousin, John the Baptist, 
was murdered, was killed. So there's a danger piece to it, but there's a grief piece to it where he wants to get away and be alone with God. He wants to grieve. And the people see him and the disciples get into a boat to go to the other side to have sacred time and get away. And there's nothing wrong with that until something moves inside of you that says, even when you're trying to get to your sacred time, if I move this inside of you and the people are in front of you, then do what's right. The Bible says in Mark 6, 34, that when he saw the people, he had this word, this word in the middle of his grief, in the middle of his wanting to be with God, in the middle of his sacred time. This word is why he taught those people when he got off the boat. I read that and I cried because I didn't want to teach you this morning. I didn't want to be up here this morning. I didn't want to work on a sermon all week long. I wanted to stay home until I read this passage. And after reading this passage, I still could have stayed home. I still would have been perfectly fine. But something moved inside of me. And as you can see, when I'm up here now, I can't help it to be up here. I couldn't wait to get up here. It's amazing how I went from grief to so happy to be here to share this with you. This is the compassion of Jesus. Because me, Rashad, I love you, but I want to be at home with my wife right now. But when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, starts to work inside of you and it starts moving in, in right here in the bowels, it moves you to do things that are supernatural. And so here's the last point, y'all. After he tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers, because workers get so, I can't do the work because I'm busy with my sacred time. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over Unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. It's crazy. Hey, pray to the Lord of harvest for workers. And after the prayer, okay, come on. Y'all got to work. <laughs> See how that works? He got him. He's like, gotcha. <laughs> but, but normally, if God blessed us with some gifting to heal and some authority and all that, we use it for us. But it was meant for others. We will lose the culture of society's teaching. Society says you first. Take care of you because nobody is going to take care of you. So you can't take care of others. You can't be for others because if you're for others, who's going to be for you? That's society's teaching or better, a better S than society. That's Satan's teaching. Surely you will not die. Jeez, God just doesn't want you to be like him. Listen to me, y'all. This is something different. You can't do this on your own. This is not something that you are capable of displaying being human. Your human nature is a sin nature that is stuck on self by nature. In other words, this is just who you are. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you to do the supernatural, to do the extraordinary, to do something that's superhuman, like love your enemy. Like put God first and put others second. This isn't natural. This isn't natural. We don't do this naturally. We are designed in, 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 in sin to come out thinking. Of, I mean, think about a baby, right? Baby's like, I don't care about your sleep schedule. Wow, wake up, feed me. 
You ain't got to teach a child to share. I mean, excuse me, to, to not share and to not give. Now, somebody's going to cut that part and be like, pastor is, you know, bad pastor. Don't go to Mercy Road. Said don't share Thanksgiving message. Like, come on, really? That's, what, that's what's going to happen. Watch. You, you don't have to teach a child to be bad. You have to teach a child to be good. They come out bad. I know they're cute, but they're bad. They're bad. They're like, he's so cute. He's bad. So this is not human nature. What I'm asking you to do is holy nature. The greatest evidence of Jesus inside of you is compassion. Why? Because you're doing the right thing for someone who needs it in the moment, regardless of what's going on in your situation, because you're moved by something inside of you to do it. Like I said, are there boundaries? Are there toxic people? Yes, but stop making decisions yourself and start listening to Jesus. See, y'all don't talk enough before you go do something. Talk to him. Father, is this for me? If so, move my bowels so that I can't help but go do something about it. Now you're walking in compassion. So this is what I want you to do. We're about, we're about to sing this song, okay? It's called The Blessing. And what I've noticed when I went around asking people about compassion, like, why can't you show compassion? What is it? I gave some of these examples I gave you, and they kept saying, well, Rochelle, I hear all that. I hear all that. But, but you're telling people to, you can't sit together, but you can go together. But won't nobody go with me? I get out there, I'm by myself. I don't know the Bible like you, man. I'm not as confident as you. I can't get out there with them and in my neighborhood and all. Man, don't, I ain't got people to go with me. And I say, hey, Jesus said, go make disciples. It was a command, not a suggestion. Of all nations, all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel, teaching them to obey. But he said this at the end. No, I am always with you. So Ray Ray, Pookie, Kiki, and them may not go with you. Well, Bob, Tom, Mary may not go with you. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Gotta have some fun and we family. They might not go with you, but Jesus is with you. Is he not enough? Right? But then, but then they was like, okay, okay, I got you. Jesus is with me, but here it is. Here it is. If I sacrifice all of me, for someone else, then who will sacrifice themselves for me? If I take care of this flock and come up here and teach this morning, who's at home with my wife right now? When she's going through some of the darkest times in her life, how can I be, how could you move me, God, and put me up here? How could you put this in me where it burns in my bones and I have to be up here, but Father, who's at home with my wife right now? And I came across this psalm in my study because I literally had this conversation with God. In Psalm 56, the Bible says this, verse 8, you have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, and this I know, God is for me. Right? I read that when I was mad at God, because I knew I was going to preach. I couldn't help it. 
but I still have some things inside me, but who's taking care of mine, man? And your gifts and everything have been great, but right now she's there by herself. Who's taking care of mine? And what do I tell my wife? And this is what I told my wife, honey, when I can't be here because God has moved me, just know he's for you more than even I am. Those tears that you may cry while I'm up there preaching, he's putting them in a bottle. They're recorded in his book. Anything, the Bible says in 1 Peter, anything that divides your attention from doing what God has called you to do is called an anxiety, a worry, a doubt. Anything that divides your attention where you give him half, but you give the world or the worries or the circumstances the other half, he said, that's called an anxiety, and I want you to give that to me. Why? Because I care for you. Finally, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He is for you. So check this out. This song we're about to sing. I want you to stand up. Stand up. Stand up. This song we're about to sing is called The Blessing. And we tend to sing this the wrong way culturally. Forget that. Human beings tend to sing this way the wrong way. It's not even a culture thing. See, the song says, Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. The song says he's with you and he's for you. And so we're out here and we're singing. And you know what we do when we sing this song? We, we, in our minds, we're actually singing me. Lord, bless me. Lord, keep me. Take care of my children. Take care of my problems. Me, 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 me. But the words say you. As if when you sing this song, it's not about you singing it to you, but you singing it to somebody else. Can you imagine this moment right now? When Becky and Eric and the worship team and the worship leaders are singing this song, and they're singing it over you. And when we say amen, that means we agree. Amen. I agree with what's being said. So they're singing over you. Lord bless you. Lord keep you. He is with you. He is for you. But if you believe that, then you don't have to sing it for yourself. Can you sing it for the person next to you? For the person behind you? Can you look at the person next to you and say, Lord keep you? Because that's how compassion works. I know he's keeping me so I can keep you. I know he's loving me so I can love you. I know he's for me so I can be for you. We get to the end of this song and it's he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, mama, then you can go be for whoever needs you. That's what compassion is. And it should move you on the inside to do the impossible. To love the people you would never love. You got a text message to send right now. You know you do. Let him move you. And don't worry if that person responds. God has already responded. Y'all feel that? Then sing with that. Amen? Amen. Amen.